Well, good afternoon and welcome to your DIY Health Radio here on the Spreaker Radio Network and simulcasting on free conference call. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. And this program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. And I recommend you go to my website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the uh, terahertz frequency devices. You now have two choices, the the old standbys, the uh, iTeraCare from Prife International, which we've been dealing with for about the last year and a half. And now the new kid on the block, the Oli Life P90 and Cell Essentials Wand. And uh, those are my new favorites because the, uh, the iTeraCare stuff's great, but the uh, Oli Life products just take it to a whole new level. Just fantastic products, very, very well made, reasonably priced, and uh, give super results. So uh, I encourage you to check those things out. You can order both uh, from the website. Uh, the information is there, but if you have any questions, hit the contact me button and I'll be happy to help you out. Also, while you're on the main website, be sure and hit the radio shows tab at the top of the page is the link to the archive page set up through castbox.fm. And then right below it is the rumble button. Yeah, we're on rumble now and uh, every show we've done since the beginning of October is posted there for replay. And we encourage you to check those out, uh, follow the channel and like the videos. That will cause the algorithm to kick it out to more people so more people can find out how to restore their health naturally rather than using dangerous drug surgery and uh, bioweapon injections put out by the allopathic community, also known as American Murder Association. So uh, check that out, and uh, I think you'll be very, very surprised and happy with the results you get. Also... Keep in mind the, uh, well, let's get back a little bit. Uh, if you scroll down a little further, you'll see the information on the shows we do, when they're on and how you listen. And then at the bottom of the page is the link to the Facebook page set up for the show, as well as the Telegram channel. Now, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Spreaker Radio Network, Free Conference Call, Rumble, any of the other platforms we're on, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say in this show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only, so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you just updating some stuff on the screen here real quick getting it out of the way and we're going to move right along there's a lot of stuff in the news but um i'm just looking at some of the things here um where the heck did, oh there's the first one women's soccer team in england refuses to play against transgender player excuse me, after transgender player injures a biological female competitor. And uh, good for them. Uh, At least four women's soccer teams in England have boycotted matches in the Sheffield and Hallamshire Women's League after a transgender player injured a biological female during a game. Several reports confirmed that the women's soccer club, Mexborough Athletic and Bentley Ladies, 
alongside two others, withdrew from their scheduled matches with the Rossington ladies team. The issue arose after 30-year-old Francesca Needham, who pretends to be a female, broke the knee of another female, not another female, a female. (laughs) Because of the resulting fiasco, Needham was out for the rest of the season. Good grief. Man, I'll tell you what. Um, I got to see this situation firsthand, one source said. Five minutes into our game, it was obvious Francesca was biologically male. The league is competitive and physical, but a lot of my hard-tackling players are were bouncing off this person. They took matters into their own hands and backed out of their, for their own safety. These are strong players in their mid-30s. Uh, we were gobsmacked. Even the referee at the time couldn't believe it. It's a huge concern, and virtually every team in the league has taken a stance to stick together and not play against Rossington for safety reasons. Francesca is arguing discrimination, but that's not the case, said another source. It's purely about safety. I've already told my players we're not playing them. I'd uh, I'd sooner throw away the points. Needham uh, isn't convinced however, and announced that he plans to take legal action. He accused the team of being transphobic, which the four involved teams denied. This unfortunate circumstance has prompted me to investigate pursuing a case of discrimination as I believe it represents a breach of the Code of Conduct regarding diversity and inclusion as well as safeguarding of adults in football established by both the Football Association and the Sheffield and Hollamshire Women's and Girls League. Female athletes should be able to play fairly and safely. Yeah, yeah. The Football Association allows transgender males age 16 above to join female sports categories, which is stupid, provided they meet hormone-based requirements like blood testosterone levels and annual verification of hormone treatment. The safety of the player and others, as well as the need for fair play and competition, is still the top priority of the association. These people are foolish. I say, if you got an outsie, you can't play on an NZ team, period. But Fiona McEnina, I guess it is, um, director of the sport and fair play uh, for women, argues that separating footballers by sex is important for reasons of fairness and safety. She contends that introducing male players to the pitch can lead to unfair advantages due to physical differences. You think? Footballers are separated by sex for very good reasons. If you put one male on the pitch, they are faster, they are stronger. It is patently unfair, and in the uh, con- on a, in a contact sport like football, it's unsafe. These women didn't choose mixed football. They chose women's football. It's not because this player is trans. It's because they're a male, <laughs> whatever this person's name said. She also cited the Statement of Sports Council guidance that the effects of male puberty, even in transgenders who have undergone full transition, are irreversible. As a result, McEnina says or urges the Association and the Equality and Human Rights Commission to address the issue and publish the updated draft policy on transgender players immediately. 
She claims that women and girls are at risk of injury in football due to the current participation of transgender males in the women's categories. There are 50 male players approved by the FA to play women's football in England, and those are the ones we know about. So this is affecting thousands of women and girls in football. This is happening all over the country. We have raised this with the EHRC as a matter of urgency. They need to point out that female-only sport is lawful. And let's see here. Transgender athletes and women's food. Let's, uh, there's a little video about it. Let me uh, set up the sharing here. Do, 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 do. Um, I think that's it. There we go. Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacy Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. We're living in kind of an upside down, topsy turvy world in yes, a lot of we spaces. Are. We both played sports in in high school and then beyond a little bit. Your family, you know, my family, a lot of coaches in, yep. in the in these sports. And something was kind of always traditional was was if if uh, you know you were a boy, you played, competed against boys. If you're a girl, you competed against girls. And you might even harass each other a little bit, you know, but, you know, between and, you know, this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, some compete and and, and that. But we've never seen in our history the things we're dealing with today um, where um, people are saying, hey, that looks equal and fair. But then you actually look at it and everything in your senses says, that does not look right. like a fair MMA bout. That does not look like a fair, you know, uh, battle. And I can't hardly make sense of it, but we have a guest uh, today that can, especially from the, the legal front, from Telios Law Firm, we have Teresa Sidebotham. Thank you. Welcome, hey, Teresa. Welcome. We're really excited to have you on the show today. So help, help me a little bit. How how from a legal standpoint uh, it, it, is this argued and is it presented as, hey, this is good for the individuals, this is good for society, the changes that have happened in competitive sports and Title IX specifically, when it was kind of designed to protect women, it seems like it's doing everything mm-hmm. but. It was originally designed to protect women. You know, back in the day, girls' sports programs did not have access to the funding. You know, they were just a a tiny splinter. And Title IX said, no, if you're going to fund the boys' sports, you've got to fund the girls' sports. Girls have to have a chance. And honestly, that revolutionized girls' and women's sports from, you know, elementary school all the way up through college. Well, now it's shifting the other way because the rights that are really being prioritized are the rights of transgender individuals who are switching their gender identity Mm -hmm. and wanting to play on the other sports teams. So maybe not so much an issue if a biological woman wants to play on the guys team. You know, that's happened off and on through history and it doesn't happen that often, frankly. But when somebody who's constructed like a biological male, but saying that he's a she and wants to play on the women's team. I mean, let's face it. We all know the women don't have a chance at that point. Men are just stronger. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that happen, you know, and, you know, whether it be swimming or um, boxing or MMA fighting or any of those things, you know, we're going to lose these sports if this continues as far as women are concerned. 
And women are also getting injured because, you know, not only are they not able to win, but because men are faster, stronger, play harder, you know, the girls are going to get hurt. And mm -hmm. some coaches are pulling their teams out because they said they're not going to put their girls at risk. So what are the options right now, Teresa? What can schools do? Uh, how, does the law on their side, what, what can they do during this time? Well, the... The Department of Education under the Biden administration has obviously pushed much, much harder in this direction. They have a proposed rule out now which claims to preserve everybody's rights, and in a sense it doesn't make it an absolute right for transgender individuals to play on the other team, but it does push towards that. And it makes it very complicated so that even if the school is trying to work through it, they might lose the analysis. So unfortunately, I think schools are going to have to work with their legal counsel to figure out, you know, are there some teams that men can't be on to play on women's teams? You know, it's maybe different in elementary school versus high school or college or how competitive. So it's really a bit of a confusing mess. And then for Christian schools in particular, there should be some protections against having to implement Title IX. There always have been you know, religious exceptions. There's a push against that as well. So again, they may need to reach out to legal counsel to try to defend their religious position on that. And then tell us what you do at Telios Law, because you, you are helping schools to defend that. Is that correct? We are helping some schools with that. Um, I think right now, primarily higher education. But at Telios Law, we work mostly with ministries and, you know, a lot of, around a lot of these issues like the religious freedoms, personnel issues, uh, misconduct investigations, and of course, Title IX involves some of those as well. And, and that's a that's another whole ball game, the the Title IX sexual harassment investigations. Uh, but we do help ministries and schools work through this. Um, and then for individuals, there's some other options as well. So if there's a, let's say, a school in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, let's say that's like, hey, we, we need to fight this fight. Um, is it somebody, could you work with them in that area? Or do you only work with people in the Colorado area? We do work with ministries in other states. And on particular portions of it that we feel we can't work on, we'll help refer them to another like-minded attorney who can help them with Okay. Are there any wins going on right now for, let's say, uh, girls in, in sports, uh, women's sports, um, and what's going on right now with the transgender movement? Are there any wins? Well, one win I think that's happening culturally is that um, parents and other people are finally waking up to acknowledge that this is a problem. So unfortunately, everyone sat back for quite a long time and just let it roll. And I think that women, maybe who are feminist and parents of daughters, have finally realized, you know, wait a minute, this is going to destroy women's sports. Mm -hmm. And so there have been some courageous women who've spoken out, like, um, you know, Miss Rowling from the Harry Potter series. Yeah. Yeah. And parents are starting to step up. Parents are going to school boards. And there's also, you know, starting to be raised concerns about you know, locker room issues and sexual assault and that kind of thing. So there's finally beginning to be some pushback. And I think parents are going to need to do that in order, in order for this to, their daughters to be protected. 
Thank, just to the untrained observer like myself, you know, you kind of look at the headlines. I can't think of any cases where there's a lot of of, of women transitioning to men and have really cashed in. They're mm-hmm. getting sponsorship endorsements. They're getting, you know, celebrity status. They're really mm-hmm. winning. It, it seems to be very one one sided. You know, it, it seems to be men mostly men in moving into women's categories mm-hmm. and winning beauty pageants, getting endorsements from feminine product companies, getting mm-hmm. endorsements from beer companies, getting, uh, you know, winning sports, you know, winning in, in, in academic, mm-hmm. I mean, winning in all athletic endeavors, mm-hmm. you know, with without, you know, anything like it seems very one sided where some like, like, you know, you mentioned feminists would be, I think, rushing in to help rescue women's activities i mean all of them from beauty pageants to athletic competitions you would think so and and i think maybe some of the feminists are starting to realize it but you know you talk to most women who've lived a long time or they played sports or they haven't played sports there's definitely issues and difficulties around being a woman and women have always had to work to succeed so to have biological men just come in and kind of sweep the honors, that can't make sense to mm-hmm. a lot of women. And I'm glad if women are starting to step up and, and say so. You know, in a way you could say it's a little bit the equivalent to being in blackface. You know, you, oh, you yeah. put on makeup yeah. and you feel like a girl, but I'm sorry, you're not mm-hmm. like I am. You, you don't have that body. Right, you're just like you can't make up your face with brown all over it and say you're a black person. Yep, that yeah. is a really great because you don't experience that that same mm-hmm. path. Because there's there's a there's a lot more that goes in. You know, I I guess I have a wife, I have a daughter. You know, and I look at like the complications, the things that are all involved there. There's a lot more involved in being a woman than just putting on some lipstick and a dress. Mm-hmm. It it is it it encompasses a lot more of your life than that. And every woman is much more than what she wears or what she appears. You know, and to for a man to come in and say, "Hey, I now I've come under the umbrella of everything that that says you're you, just because I can appear to be you. I can appear to play for the Kansas City Chiefs, but doesn't mean I go through everything that they do. I could even buy a uniform and a jersey. Doesn't make me a Kansas City Chief where I've gone through the pain and the practices and the OTAs mm-hmm. and the surgeries and everything that's involved in the concussions and all the downsides and negative, like there's a lot that would go into that. So same thing with, with being, with being a woman and and the things mm-hmm. that, that you go through um, looking over your shoulder, leaving a restaurant by yourself at night and the vulnerabilities and, and, uh, you know, every, everything that's involved in paying the price tag to say, Hey, I am a woman. These are the things I've gone through. It's a lot more than just appearance. It is. And and I do want to say that, you know, young people, if they're transitioning, they're they're usually really in a lot of pain. You know, they're they're hurting, they're going through struggles. And we want to be compassionate, uh, you know, try to understand the struggles that they're going through. And and I don't want to send the message that, you know, we just blow them off and we don't care. Sure. At the same time, I think we're going to have to defend a space for biological girls to feel safe in their locker rooms, mm-hmm. have a chance to succeed on their sports teams, you know, get respect for who they are. There, there need to be some compromises and some boundaries that protect girls because mm-hmm. 
girls often don't get protected very well in this life. It's very true. If there are parents that are watching this and they're dealing with this in, in their own state, whether it be, say, Oklahoma or uh, Rhode Island, um, what are some different things they can do? I don't think that's something that you do at your law firm, firm but who, who could you recommend that they could actually talk to? So if they need legal help, some of the public interest firms are thinking of Pacific Justice Institute, Alliance Defending Freedom. Um, I think Beckett Fund focuses on religious freedoms, but if it went that direction, you know, Thomas More Society, Liberty Council, there's a number of them. They're doing some great work. But just on a sheer practical level, you know, talking to your school, talking to your school board, putting pressure on, you know, parents abdicated for too long. Mm -hmm. uh, and on a local government level, there is a lot that you can do practically to say, you know, we understand that kids going through struggles need to be treated compassionately, but it doesn't mean that you can get away with not protecting our daughters too. Yeah. It's a great and our, point. And our sons, of course. Yes. That's a great point. Well, Cause I think the world is better served if, if women do get to participate mm -hmm. and if they're, and if they're active in this, if we create a, a place where they're like, you know, Hey, what's the use? Mm -hmm. Why would I even mess with that? Yeah. Why would I, why would I train hard for something that's going to be taken away from me? I don't think that makes a better world. It doesn't make better mothers. It doesn't make no. a better planet. It doesn't make better teachers. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, any of these activities, if we eliminate those things, you know, from us any, any more than like I benefited from playing sports. I'm just never a professional. It's like I went on, you know, mm -hmm. but those struggles and the coaching all played a big role mm -hmm. in how I live my life. I think if, if we endanger that for women, it's a, it's a detriment to everyone. Yeah, I think of a you know young woman who is a friend of one of my sons. She's actually a professional athlete now. He's not. They played soccer at the same age, but the boys were much stronger and more sure. powerful. The girls were beautiful and graceful. It was just a different game. Mm -hmm. And you know, on the rare occasions when they'd work out together, you'd just be kind of shaking their heads because it was not the same game. No, not at all. I agree. So before I let you go, let's talk about um, your website again. Telios Law, so T-E-L-I-O-S Law.com. Um, when you go there, there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight. If you scroll down on this page, you're going to come to Telios Tips. There's, you can sign up for that. What will they find when they get that? When they Are they going to receive email? Yeah, it's an email about once a month. Uh, one is directed more towards ministries. One is directed more towards businesses. But that gives legal updates. We cover child protection, sexual harassment, religious freedoms, a lot of different issues and, and some great free resources there. Okay, great. And then the other tab I wanted to highlight was the Telius Teaching. So tell us about that. So Telius Teaches is an online subscription-based training for ministries in the whole HR realm. So, you know, child protection, sexual harassment, different types of discrimination, but it's all from a scriptural basis. So what does God have to say about these issues and how people should be treating each other and caring for each other, as well as giving the legal background? So, you know, it's, it's a whole mix there. That is great. I love that you're offering these resources. You know, too much attention is given to the, the, the I'd say, like to the negative side mm -hmm. of this. It's encouraging to hear that, hey, there are law firms out there. There are people that are standing up and uh, speaking up and showing up on behalf of, of uh, the most vulnerable in these certain circumstances. So I'm very happy about that. 
Well, and thank you for what you're doing too. It's important. Have a great day, Teresa. Thanks again. All righty. It's good to see that people are starting to stand up against this insanity. It needs to happen more. One of the things I haven't seen yet that I think would be kind of interesting is if the girls on these teams start ganging up on these goobers, especially in contact sports like football or soccer, whatever the case might be. If some guy wants to be on the team, let him just uh, get piled on a couple of times and uh, little elbows here and a little knees there and that kind of thing. Um, give him a, send him a message that you don't belong in that area. But uh, something needs to be done. You know, they need to go back to the point where males are on male teams, females are on female teams, and just because you're psychologically screwed up, and you think you're something you're not doesn't mean everybody else has to engage in your level of insanity. You know, if, if you're a biological male, regardless of what you think you are, you're prohibitive from playing on a biological female team, period. That's the way it ought to be, and there should be laws on that. And this, this garbage of trying to, you know, include everybody and fit everybody in, you know, you got round pegs, you got square pegs. Round pegs going round holes, square pegs going square holes. <clears throat> if you're something other, if you're a triangular peg, you got a problem. And it's a personal problem. You need to deal with it. Everybody else doesn't have to be dragged into your level of insanity. Sorry. That's just the way, uh, and that's my not-so-humble opinion. But... This is insanity, and people need to. I'm glad to see people are standing up against it. There needs to be more of it. Same thing, and even if it's not a contact sport, I mean, Riley Gaines put up with all this garbage and swimming and missed out on, uh, you know, good placements because she was beaten by a male who didn't belong in that area in the first place. I just saw another thing here recently posted on facebook i can't remember the young lady's name but she was the top swimmer in the united states female swimmer and she was beat out by some schmuck claiming to be a girl and uh so let's let's make her famous and uh that's been going around let me see if i can find it here um got too many things going on here huh Right now, I can't remember how to get to that point. Well, shoot. Uh, hmm. That should be. I've put so many things up lately that it probably would take a whole lot of scrolling to find it. But anyway, you know, it's, it's something that uh, just really bugs me when these guys come in and claim to be female and are allowed to be on a female team that is absolute insanity but it is what it is and uh, when you're ah, here it is let me see if i can i don't know if that'll drop right now it won't figures but i'm going to do what I got to do to put it in the chat room here. 
come on. Uh, boom, 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 boom. There we are. Actually found it. Yeah, I think we should all make Emma Wyatt famous. She's the fastest female swimmer in the nation. Title that she rightfully won was taken her from her by a male. And that's absolutely disgusting. She worked hard to compete against other females. She should not have to be put in a situation where she's got to play, you know, compete against someone who has uh, physical superiority because he's a male, period. I'm sorry. It just That just really rubs me the wrong way. Anywho, let's get back to where we were at. <laughs> Uh, PCR protocol advocates qualifications to head virology department at Berlin University Hospitals. Doubted by Crowley. Anyway, um, here's another good one. Thank goodness for the, <laughs> the Russians are showing some signs of uh, common sense. Russian lawmakers propose bill banning adoption of Russian children to countries that allow transgenderism. Russian lawmakers proposed a new bill that would ban Russian children from being adopted by countries that allow gender reassignment to safeguard children and ensure that they are raised by normal families and societies. Good for them. You know, and the funny thing is, is years ago, you would think that the, the tables would be turned. That kind of stuff would be going on in the United States. But now we are the bastion of absolute stupidity. And thank goodness that the Russians are having the sense to uh, do something about it. Vasily Piskarev, the head of the Russian State Duma's Committee for Secure on Security and Countering Corruption, argued that the new measure ensures the, that adopted children do not end up in families with parents who have undergone gender transition. They should also include homosexuality. You know, if 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 a country allows children to be adopted by homosexuals where you have two women or two males acting as mother and father. That should be part of their bill as well, I think. The new bill proposes uh, to prohibit the adoption of a child by foreign citizens in case their state allows gender reassignment, both by producing the appropriate identification papers or by using medical and other kinds of interventions, that explained Piskarev. He further emphasized that the legislation is primarily targeted at citizens of North Atlantic Treaty Organization member states, or NATO states, many of whom permit same-sex marriages and sex changes. Yeah. The NATO is just... It's synonymous for stupid. Piskarev, a representative of the ruling United Russia Party, stressed that the, important, the importance of providing adopted children with an environment he described as a normal family where there's a biological father and a mother. He argued that the bill seeks to ensure that foster children grow up and develop in a normal family. I love how they keep throwing in normal. Amen. Good for them. Russia bans LGBTQ indoctrination to protect its people from Western anti-family ideology. Again, good for them. The Russian State Duma has passed several anti-LGBTQ laws in recent years. Back in July, Russian lawmakers approved a bill that limits transgender rights, including a near-total ban on gender reassignment surgeries. 
The only exception carved out is for cases involving congenital physiological anomalies in children. And legislation prevents registry offices from updating official documents based on medical certificates of gender change. So in other words, you're born a boy, you will die one, regardless of what you have done surgically, which is a good thing. The law, just like the recent bill, disqualifies transgenders from adopting children or becoming guardians. Good for them. There's also a provision that allows for the annulment of marriages if one or both spouses undergo a gender change and update their civil status records. Hmm. Meanwhile, in December 2022, Russia expanded its existing gay propaganda law, imposing stricter penalties on individuals promoting non-traditional sexual relations and or preferences, as well as gender transition. The latest legislation further tightens the grip on LGBTQ alleged rights, eliciting concerns about the shrinking space for free speech and human rights in the country. What it boils down to is everybody has the same rights. If you're a man, you have the right to marry a woman, just like every other man. If you're a woman, you have the right to marry a man, just like every other woman. And you don't get special rights because you're goofed up in the head. Yulia Eliashina, Russia's first transgender politician, expressed deep concern about the potential impact and the proposed transgender bill. Well, they need one to keep them people out of the government, too. She warned that if the legislation becomes law, transgender individuals would be denied constitutionally guaranteed medical care, describing the bill as not just discriminatory but a form of genocide against the transgender community. However, in a July hearing for limiting transgender rights, Deputy Speaker uh, Pyotr Tolstoy and other Russian officials defended all the anti-LGBTQ legislation. He claimed that these laws protect the country from Western anti-family ideology and preserve the traditional values of the country for future generations. Good for them. The Western transgender industry is trying to infiltrate our country in this way to break the window for its multi-billion dollar business. A number of doctors defend this field so vehemently, hiding behind their academic knowledge, including that gained abroad during studies in the U.S. and other countries, Tolstoy said. Hmm. Oh, here's a little video exposing the gender lie. Let's see what it is. Um, boom, 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 boom. Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacy Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. Today, we have two guests on the Flyover Conservative show. Our first is a journalist podcaster with the Christian Post who has reported extensively on the developments of the gender identity movement and transgender ideology. We've had him on the show a couple of times. And our second guest is an author, an educator, and an entrepreneur. He's become one of America's most respected authorities on youth leadership development. Welcome to the show, Brandon Showalter and Dr. Jeff Myers. Yay. <laughs> wow. Welcome. Got a lot St- of mental horsepower right there on the screen. <laughs> Stacy, thank you. Hey, David. Yes, Good glad to, to have you. you. 
Welcome back, Brandon. Man, this is a big topic that we're going to cover today. You all just had a book that just came out uh, that we want to address. It's called Exposing the Gender Lie, and we're going to be talking about that today. You can find it when you go to summit.org on their homepage, or you can go to summit.org forward slash protect to go directly uh, to that. We'll also put the link in the notes below. I mean, this we're, is- at a, we're at an interesting crossroads in human history where we have big topics that it's kind of like, you know, try, people trying to, you know, pick up a, a big waterbed mattress or something. You know, you can't hardly wrap your arms around some of these ideas that we're grappling with. Mm-hmm. But one thing I love about both of you is you've done a lot of work in private. Jeff, you've been on this for years. Our, our son Colton went through one of your programs yeah. a decade ago mm-hmm. where you helped, you know, up and coming teen leaders, you know, struggle and work through and, and articulate some of the toughest topics of their time and some of the things you were projecting then are what we're dealing with mm-hmm. today. So it's an honor to have both of you guys come together to, 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 again, help people articulate things that most people our age don't even have a language for yep. or an awareness that yeah. exists. That's exactly right. So Dr. Jeff, what made you uh, decide to write this book? Well, I, Brandon Showalter and I had met last summer And uh, I'd heard of his work through the Christian Post. I knew that he had for several years been investigative, doing investigative reporting on Mm -hmm. transgenderism. And it's a topic that I had become increasingly concerned about. You know, as through Summit Ministries, we seem to be on the front lines whenever something starts happening in youth culture. uh, We know about it right away. We have students who are coming to our programs who are involved in it. And so we've been thinking a great deal about this idea that you can uncouple sexuality and gender and that there are potentially millions of different genders and that gender is entirely what you have inside of your head, Mm -hmm. has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with your biological sex. And, And we realized that if you uncouple sex and gender, you are in essence taking away one of the very last things that people can use to understand the nature of reality itself. Mm -hmm. So we saw this as an attack on truth. If you can get little boys and girls to look at one another and say there is no difference, you can convince them of anything. They become the perfect propaganda targets for whatever agenda manages to get their attention. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. And Brandon, you've done several documentaries and now this book. What what are you hoping that well, people Brandon, will gain Brandon's from been it? with with Tucker Carlson, I know, and uh, now exactly. I just I'm just I'm glad Brandon decided to take a couple minutes out to hang out with us today. <laughs> this is he, he's uh, making an exception and lowering his standards a little. True, that is very no. true. So, what made you decide to write this book? What are you hoping that people get out of this, Brandon? Well, it was a as Jeff said, we met in met last summer in Arizona, and it, it, as interestingly enough, we had planned to zoom because he had heard of my work uh, together. And then we found out that we were going to be in the same, you know, I was speaking at a conference in Arizona and we met there. And in late July, we put our heads together and he said, if we can collaborate on a project where we can equip pastors, lay ministers, mm-hmm. youth leaders to understand, help people unpack this ideology with the philosophical tools, with the goal of equipping them to know how to protect children and youth and teens and young adults from its dangers, particularly because of the incursion of this dogma into the medical arena. Yeah. I think the medical harm is the worst harm that this ideology causes, though there's not a single area of, of life that is impacted when you when you <laughs> introduce the lie that men can be women mm-hmm. and vice versa. This is such an attack on 
epistemology, how we know what we know, and how we conceptualize distinguish truth from falsehood, reality from unreality. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were just in Texas last week, Dr. Jeff and I were with um, a panel from my podcast series here at the Christian Post called Generation Indoctrination. We had two panels uh, and one of our panelists was an, a representative who's a prison advocate. She was once incarcerated and now there are men who self-declare as female, and even though they're rapists and hardened criminals, they're allowed mm -hmm. to be incarcerated with women in their correctional facilities. It's an absolute nightmare. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> but we wanted to articulate the harms in exposing the gender lie, specifically about how to protect children, because I believe that transgenderism is not only one of the worst medical scandals the world has ever seen, it is responsible for some of the most horrific and unmitigated child abuse ever known to man. Mm -hmm. Totally. David, David, Stacy, I want to jump in here real quick. Mm -hmm. It's really important to both Brandon and me to know that we are not blaming confused kids for this. Right. That, that we are. This there is an industry that is targeting them for the purposes of making billions of dollars in profit, and there is an ideology that is targeting them because it benefits from the confusion that they experience. Mm -hmm. As Brandon puts it, it is a feature, not a bug of the transgender project. So industry and ideology, yeah. those are the two things to keep in yeah. mind. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, there are children out there who, who are bullied because they don't conform to uh, cultural stereotypes of masculinity or femininity. Those children deserve to be protected, but they're actually being victimized by the very people who ought to mm -hmm. protect them. And that is a great point. Let me ask you a question. How much is being made right now in the medical industry um, with everything that's going on? It's hard to tell exactly what the figures are, but, but we can break it down a little bit. A child who is told, the parents are told by the doctor, you need to put your child on a puberty blocker because, uh, you know, it's a boy who th thinks that... Uh, feels like a girl mm -hmm. and so you need to put the child on puberty blockers that puberty blocker lupron ordinarily used to treat prostate cancer in men endometriosis and women very effective is used off-label without fda approval for the purposes of puberty blocking for children who are diagnosed gender dysphoric mm -hmm. at a cost of it seems to be right around thirty thousand dollars a year Wow. And so as long as that child needs to be on the puberty blocker and then, of course, transition to cross-sex hormones, you've got a lifetime customer. So that's, let's say that's for let's one, see, one per individual. That's one, one per, that's one person. So you had 42,000 people in 2001 who were minors who were diagnosed gender dysphoric. That number seems to be doubling or tripling every single year. So you can do the mm -hmm. math. Uh, this is why the transgender standards of care, which were written by transgender activists, incidentally, uh, state that it is, quote unquote, medically necessary for children to undergo medicalization if they mm -hmm. have a gender dysphoria diagnosis. The reason is because they want insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid to pay for it. But they have now said if you're if you're gender dysphoric, you it is medically necessary for you to undergo these uh, hormone treatments mm -hmm. and then ultimately surgery. And uh, so we're talking billions, tens of billions of dollars, 20, 30, 40 billion dollars a year that wow. could potentially be earned by the pharmaceutical industry and by the medical uh, clinics that have been set up in the United States. You know, most countries have one or two. We have 300 mm -hmm and 60 that are pediatric, that are specifically oh focused on bringing children in who are confused about their gender and mutilating them. 
And I'll what just are the, the oh, go ahead, Brandon. Well, I'll just add to that. And then we haven't even gotten to the surgery, mm-hmm. which if, if everybody remembers Matt Walsh and his crew down at the Daily Wire exposed Vanderbilt, where they actually had a doctor on tape saying mm-hmm. this is a great moneymaker because these surgeries, they're not doing anything to repair the body. They're intentionally harming it yep. because your body is intended to function as a whole functioning organism. Mm. And so if you're removing physically healthy body parts in pursuit of a physical impossibility, of course, you're going to have complications. And with more complications, there are going to be, you know, more, more need for the hospital, there's going to be a follow up care, it's going to be a moneymaker for them. I often say when I do interviews, and it just because, you know, I talked about earlier, about with you know, barking up a tree and whatnot and sounding like a crazy man for the last few years. Finally, people are starting to see the harms that we at the Christian Post mm-hmm. have been reporting on for years. I mean, it's it sounds so tinfoil hat conspiracy to say that medical institutions are making money off of sterilizing and disfiguring young, healthy bodies, but that is, I promise you, what is happening. Uh, there was some figures I've seen from the American Society for Plex plastic surgeons where I've seen charts, good numbers can be hard to find in this space, but I've seen the data of gender dysphoria surgeries where between 2016 and 2017, the number of females who underwent such surgeries quadrupled. Wow. I mean, not, that's not an organic development. That, that I mean, and even during the 2020 you know, pandemic, when mm-hmm. a lot of healthcare facilities were locked down, my reading of the numbers show that those surgeries continue to rise. There's been a steady increase, I think 15% between 2019 and 2020. I mean, average, if you I remember crunching the numbers at one point where if you took the numbers from that was recorded for breast amputations of girls who believe they're boys um, for, I believe, 2020, and you divide that by 261, which is business days in a year, we're averaging 32.7, I believe, breast amputations per day in this Whoa. country. We're, we're disfiguring our young people left and right, all in service to a lie. Okay, so where's this coming from? Why are we seeing such a, a massive yeah. increase? Let me even reword it this way, and I'd like to come to you know a solution to this as well. But for a lot of people, this came on like before Leah Thomas was swimming, you know, with <laughs> the girls. A lot of people like. Was this the first person this right. has ever like? It was just not on the radar for most mm-hmm. people, or or you know, maybe they had a different kind of wake up moment, and then maybe they heard of the Matt Walsh documentary and some pushback mm-hmm. on things, and you know, Biden's addressed you know some issues, but an advocate for that industry would they say, hey, there's always been twenty thirty percent of our population. That, that was misidentified in their gender. They were always the, 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 the wrong spirit in the right body, right body, wrong spirit. What, what, what is the, their, their argument for what happened the last 5,000 years and how this has been diagnosed yeah. up until five minutes ago? Mm-hmm. What's, what's their argument for this? Well, it's, it's hard to sift through all of the lies, and that's why we wrote this, this book with 102 different citations, mostly from secular sources, because uh, if you see news uh, from transgender advocates, it's almost 100% of the time a total fabrication, a total lie. The, uh, their analysis of the studies, all wrong. Their analysis of what the problem is and the solution, all wrong. Their understanding of biology, totally wrong. There's 6,500 catalog differences between males and females. It's not just a matter of secondary sex mm-hmm. characteristics. 
So if you trace back where that all began, it, uh, I, I was actually a doctoral student in my university working on a PhD focusing on uh, child development in communication. And, and that in that program, we were we were given resources to read, including one article called Doing Gender that said that gender is not uh, your biological sex. Gender is a performance based on your self-perception. That was 30 mm. years ago. So what's taught mm. in the classroom in one generation will be believed in practice in government and in society in the next. What yeah. we're seeing is not a brand new phenomenon, but a rising up of the iceberg uh, through time. Wow. So are you seeing it because are we seeing more today because of social media? Um, is, is it popular right now? Is that the thing to be like, where do you guys, what are you guys seeing with that? Yeah, Brandon, you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I will gladly tackle that. And yes, there is, I think it's indisputably true that this phenomenon, uh, is the result in large part due to a social contagion largely fueled by the internet, social media, websites like Tumblr and YouTube, especially in the last five years. Jeff is correct that the overarching ideology has been gestating within our academic institutions for many decades. And so it seems to have been a perfect storm. Uh, and then the phrase that I often use is ideological or institutional capture, because once ideologues can get in charge of several key institutions, especially in something is as influential as government or in the medical system. And then academic activists can re-engineer health guidelines or standards of care. Then that becomes the standard that governs uh, everything. The media is the other big one. If they can manipulate the very words we use and overtake our very means of communications, you can shift perceptions in keeping with their ideological aims and a lot can change very quickly. Um, but I do think that the social contagion aspect, particularly in a fragmented time where there has been a breakdown of faith and where there's been a breakdown of family and you have a generation of youth that's just crying out for identity, well, the industry is ready to step in and market these medical products to them as though this is the pathway to liberation, to becoming their authentic self, as transgender activists like to, like to say. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is, is that it's, it's all a lie. We, we chose the name of our book, Exposing the Gender Lie, because it is physically impossible to become the opposite sex. Gender identity always undermines sex of the body. That's always the target. And I stress repeatedly whenever I talk to people about this, never, ever, ever say the word gender when what you really mean is sex, because mm. that's where the confusion has begun. The two mm. words were used interchangeably for the for most of history and indeed yeah. the 60s, the word gender didn't even really exist in medicine, didn't have a medicalized connotation to it. And people to this day still do, and I get it because you know, you look at the word gender, you see the word gene as in genetics, which then informs the biologic word sex. But gender ideologues have an entire theoretical edifice built around this notion that gender is just a performance, as Jeff was saying. And to be sure, there are gender norms. There is a social aspect to gender. But gender ideology always attacks the sex of the body. They'll say, I'm not changing my sex. I'm just changing my gender. Well, then why are you removing sex organs? Right. Why, are you, why are you taking drugs to alter your reproductive capacity? Yes, you are trying to change your sex, but you're just filling it with this argle bargle about gender and Jeff and I just won't be gaslit by any of it. Mm, that is huge. You got the, the, the book up here exposing the, the gender lie. Um, can you list again exactly where people can get yeah, that? Again? They can, they can go to summit.org 
forward slash protect. Right now you can get on the homepage when you go to summit.org, but when you go to summit.org forward slash protect, it takes you right to the book. Um, so they have a PDF, they have the hard copy as well. Um, okay, so as you were talking, um, I just kept thinking, who who is pushing this? You know, so, and when did it start in the schools? Obviously, when COVID hit, parents started finding out a lot about curriculum that they didn't know about because they were seeing it over Zoom at home. But has this, and Jeff, you kind of, Dr. Jeff, you kind of addressed this earlier that it was in colleges. When did it go down to the grade schools and the high schools? And become aligned with the teachers' unions. Yes. Specifically. Uh, yeah, yes. Well, uh, so there's a lot of complicity here, and it's difficult to sort it all out. There was a helpful article in January 2023 in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy, which is one of the most highly respected journals in the field of psychology. They examined 140 different studies related to transgender. They discovered a couple of things. First of all, that that uh, the people who've been promoting transgender have been lying all along. Mm. And they've got 140 different studies they examined wow. in, in the process of this. The second thing they discovered is that what seems to have happened in the medical field is what the authors call runaway diffusion, that they hear of some experimental procedure and then begin to assume that it's normal. In the United States, because people realized they could make money off of this, they began to form uh, these gender clinics and then pediatric gender clinics all across the country to bring in and put onto a regimen of medical treatment and ultimately surgery uh, tens of thousands of children. Well, how do you get customers for those? Mm -hmm. You send the people who run the gender clinics into the schools to train the teachers to be sensitive to transgender issues. And guess what the teachers conclude? That the only rational process for a child who says that they don't identify with their biological sex is to send them to the gender clinic where they become a customer. So you have the school to clinic pipeline because the clinics mm -hmm have come to believe that this is a way to make a huge amount of money and to come across as compassionate in the process, by the way, it's a double win. Mm -hmm. And then they send the people into the schools to train the teachers and now they've got a pipeline. Wow. And it's only, you know, magnified when you have the left is so in control of all the levers of media, mm -hmm. movies, messaging, uh, you have Drew Barrymore on her knees before a transgender, you know, male, you know, this kind of thing. It, it's, it's, it, it, nobody wants to step forward and be an awful person to be the first mm -hmm. one to have a rock thrown at them. So a lot of people kind of step back and say, Hey, I don't even want to engage in this topic because it's too complicated. I really don't have the language to articulate it. And I certainly don't want to be on the wrong side of history. I don't want to be looked at as a racist or a bad person or any, whatever name they just, they, people just want to kind of go to work and come home. And I think for a large part, you know, the Christian community specifically probably just kind of turns away from it and moves forward and figures there's other battles to focus on. Yeah. I think that that's right. And I think that this issue for so long has been so bizarre and obscure and they just don't get it because it is horrible and it's too unpleasant to even think about. And so they just don't, or they, this kind of analysis paralysis sets in and it's just, they can't even have, can't be bothered with it and they don't think it's going to affect them. Well, let me tell you, David and Stacey, every mom and dad that calls me says some version of the following to me. I never thought let anything like this could happen to me. They're totally blindsided and their lives are then shattered. And that's not too strong of a word. I mean, this completely upends a family and it completely 
destroys your life because there's not a single area that doesn't turn to ash when it invades your home. Uh, when I was on your show the last time, um, I was speaking about a movie, a documentary film called Dead Name, which yep. I think mm-hmm. I think that film and the issues that are explored in it holds the key in addition to the rising numbers of detransitioners now raising their voice. But the Dead Name film profiles the families that have been broken by this. And I think only the most cruel people among us don't you know, want, fam- want families to be fractured. Well, that's what this does. And as their voices are heard, and as we hear the voices of those who have been irreversibly harmed, sterilized, disfigured, they've been through the medical meat grinder, mm-hmm. hopefully then if we can be heard, we'll win because we just have to puncture the media blockade, which is all in on the mm-hmm. the the trans stuff. <laughs> and yep. just as, as case in point, I mean, we're, we're just yesterday, Three Christian children and three Christian school uh, folks were, were murdered in Nashville, Tennessee. And the media, I kid you not, it's so disgusting. They're bringing up the fact that Tennessee, where this murder, this mass murder happened, I'm, I'm seeing ABC and Newsweek make the connection. Well, Tennessee just recently banned gender-affirming care. They recently banned drag code for SIDS. They cannot help themselves. Mm-hmm. So even as Christian children have their bodies riddled with bullets, they're bringing up these issues. Mm-hmm associating it with i mean it's just unbelievable they have no shame but that's what we're up against we've got a media pushing this as the next frontier of civil rights and those oogity boogity christians who oppose it meanwhile um count the carnage is just the bodies keep piling up and uh, i think we are long overdue for a reckoning but i Mm -hmm. sense that one is at hand so question one for the, you. Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, one, one, one of the chapters in the e-book, in the book that that we've been talking about, Exposing the Gender Lie, which is available for free, by the way, because Brandon and I didn't want to, we want people to be able to forward it as widely as possible. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can download that. But one of the chapters is the twisting of transgender twisting of language, destroying the very idea of language as a way to understand reality. That's important mm-hmm. to understand in relation to the Nashville shooting. You know, the news came out and said it was a transgender woman. Well, then they, but the transgender woman, according to the lingo, is actually a, a male, someone who was born male, but now identifies as female. So was it a male or was it a female? Then a couple of news sources came out later and said, no, it was a trans male, which means a, someone who was born female, female, but now identifies as male. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the night, Brannard and I were going back and forth on, on this with our team. <laughs> by the end of the evening, all of the headlines had changed and nothing was mentioned about the sex of the shooter at all. For the first time in history, when there has been a mass shooting, the sex of the person mm-hmm. was completely um, erased from all mm-hmm. of the headlines. And I thought it would happen by tomorrow, by the morning. It actually happened within 30 minutes of when we first noticed the trend. Wow. wow. We, we quote at the beginning of that chapter, I'm pretty sure, we quote the passage from Genesis about the Tower of Babel and how the language was confused. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then, as Jeff was saying earlier about how we quote a lot of mostly secular sources, we have a lesbian feminist academic from Britain who says, the word trans has one function, and that is to falsify reality. As soon as you have a word that can institute the lie that a man is a woman, everything is reversed. Man. Wow. Well, as, as we as we kind of head into our last little little segment here, you know, I, I I see this and it's like, okay, as a society, we're a little slow to come up with the fire department in response to the fire. 
you know, there's no reason for a fire department. If you've never seen a fire, you've never heard of a fire. So you want to address the fire two ways. One, we need a mechanism where we can get water to the problem and, and solve it. You also, you know, what can we do inside of homes? You know, you don't want to play with matches and do things that start fires and, you know, and have that. I think Benjamin Franklin started the first fire department in the city of Philadelphia, you know, and organized a, a structured response to a problem that they were having as a, as a society. So there's two sides to this. There's the, 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 the matches in the house and there's the response to it with the fire department. Um, what and do you guys address kind of both sides of that in the book? Because part of our goal with this show is is to create a platform for people that might not be allowed to speak on other channels on certain topics, and then to have people have an increased uh, level of language to have better conversations at the water cooler, mm -hmm. you know, and at their dinner tables yeah. and these things. So, mm -hmm. so by downloading your book, by reading your book, is there an addressing of both sides of that of the matches in the house and the fire department response to what we can? take action and do there is yeah there's a the faq at the end of the book that addresses the most complex questions that the parents have asked us so you want to you know you want to go there you don't want to you don't want to miss the understanding of what this issue is all about but that faq is going to be huge for people and then chapter five also uh, this is one we really labored over trying to understand what a biblical worldview of this would be so it's time to go back and talk with our children about how God made us in his image. We are deeply valued by him and he made us as male and female. Those are not just biological categories, they're theological categories. And the goal is to raise up young men to become warriors and defenders and protectors of the good, the true and the beautiful. Mm -hmm. The goal is to raise up young women to breathe life into a culture that seems so inclined toward death and then to to recognize that male and female were designed by God to harmonize with one another and that an androgynous society is not a better one. A better one is in, one in which male and female interact sort of like two pitches of a roof, strengthening one another and mm -hmm. holding the weight better because mm -hmm. they lean on one another and harmonize together. Would somebody so enjoy this good. book, Jeff, if they didn't have a biblical worldview? We thought about having a segment on this show because we look at news cycles all the time and, and we do examine culture and current events through the lens of conservative Christian values. We don't pull any punches on that. That's just mm -hmm. how we see the world. So we're going to talk about things from that perspective. We thought about having a segment though called you don't need no verse for that. You know, there's some things it's like, 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 you know, for a biblical worldview, that's wrong, but there's things going on in the world. Like I don't that's need a verse wrong. to back that up. You just know, yeah. you know, uh, you know, that's right. could, could, would someone yeah. still enjoy this? Could somebody share this with somebody who maybe you don't know where they're at as far as being a, being a church person, mm -hmm. but is it, is it still scientifically backed enough that they could enjoy it without a biblical worldview? I'll, well, I'll answer that. Yeah, if yeah go ahead. <laughs> it's Yes. I think so. Yeah. Obviously, Jeff and I are certainly not ashamed of the gospel. We are outspoken Christians. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe he holds the antidote and that the gospel, uh, we, we want to extend the hope of the gospel uh, to all who read. Uh, but as he said earlier, we've got over 102 footnotes, a lot of which are not from Christian sources. And indeed, in the introduction, we feature two quotes mm -hmm. from two atheist evolutionary biologists, you know, okay. you know, the knowledge, I said this last week in Dallas, but the knowledge that human beings are sexually dimorphic mammals is knowledge that is accessible to everyone by human reason. You don't need to be a Bible-believing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that or to be able to obtain that. We can, we are rational creatures. And so, <laughs> I mean, I think that, yes, there are some, if you're not a Christian and you read this book, there will be some things that you may 
tune out. I think we quote Pope John Paul II at one point. And there are you know, other authors that we quote that may not carry weight in your mind if you are not a Christian. But we're not Bible-bangy either. I mean, if we're not ashamed of it, but we're, it's not just overloaded with only Christian sources and only Bible verses. Uh, we try to convey through every single chapter. Um, now, the fifth one is more heavy on the gospel aspect of it, but throughout the first four especially, our view is that the truth is true no matter who says it. And so that, that truth can come out of the mouth of an atheist and it can come out of the mouth of a Christian. And if they're speaking truthfully, we will gladly highlight mm-hmm. that. It's really good. Yeah, uh, David once said, and I think it's so true, when something's right, it's always right and opinions change. And uh, I think that is where we are. One thing I wanted to highlight before we let you go um, that I just got from the information is that, you know, there's side effects. There's all of these different things from these drugs that they're giving the kids, um, Mm -hmm. obviously the surgeries that they're having, Mm -hmm. but a high percentage of children grow out of this this gender dysphoria by the age that they hit puberty. And so really understanding, I think it was like 70 to 80%, I think I saw, you know, statistic wise. And so there is hope. We just have to get this information out to people and help them to walk through this process. So thank you so much for everything that you all have done to help to get this information out. Again, you can go to summit.org forward slash protect to get this book. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Do your feet ache, Rob? Wow. I put a copy of the book in the chat room for anybody that wants it. And if anybody, uh, Susie, go ahead. Sorry, I just hopped on. I didn't realize I was unmuted. Oh, no problem. (laughs) All righty. Yeah, this is uh, becoming a real issue. And the sad thing is, and that's what this show has been about, for as long as it's been there is nutrition these children are getting screwed up because their mother was nutrient deficient when they were pregnant with these children that is a major major portion of it now some of them are recruited through just through the the social media and all the uh stuff that's going on in this day and age but the ones that are really messed up are the ones who didn't develop properly because their mom didn't have the nutrients necessary to produce a complete and total healthy baby. And it it goes back to nutrition, especially in this day and age with all the stuff we're being attacked with, with all the crap in the food, crap in the water, crap in the air. The only thing that you can do to protect yourself is to give your body the stuff that it needs to take out the trash and to make sure that you have all the stuff you need to make a healthy baby if you're a female and especially you know it not just you know just a female males as well in order to have healthy sperm a guy has to be on the right stuff too so in order and this is why dr wallach is a stickler on this he says before you even think about conceiving make sure both mom and dad are on the 90 essential nutrients appropriate for their body weight for at least six months prior to attempting to conceive. And that will basically ensure, you know, you're not going to have any trouble. You know, you're going to probably be taken right after the first try. You can keep trying if you want. That's always okay. But it will probably hit right after the first one. 
and perfectly healthy, smooth pregnancy, smooth delivery, and a healthy baby that won't be messed up in the head or anywhere else for that matter. Because this stuff is nothing, it's just a different type of birth defect. And this is the answer to it. And of course, your idiot MD will never know that. They'll say it's genetic. Genetic, when, they, when a doctor says it's genetic, he's, what he's saying is, I have no earthly idea what it is that's causing the problem. And when I say genetic, it makes me sound smarter than you. There's no such thing as a genetic illness, period, or genetic birth defect. It's nutritional. But, you know, anyway, the book is in the chat room and it's on the Telegram channel if anybody is uh, interested. And this one, the title just caught my eye, Keep Your Head on a Swivel. <laughs> that's something that's always, you know, we learn in the military. This is an essay about surviving. We should be living our lives today with an expectation that something bad will soon happen. Yeah, with all these idiots, when you got Yuval Noah Harari and Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and uh, uh, what's his chops, uh, George Soros out there flitting around, you can bet something bad's going to happen. And it isn't going to be accidental. They planned it. Anyway, that feeling that should not dominate our existence or preclude us from pursuing rich and joyful lives, but it should keep us mentally vigilant and physically prepared before disaster strikes. In this Obama-Biden or O'Biden America of open borders, out-of-control violent crime, economic fragility, and international provocations, it's only a matter of time before conflicts abroad come, become conflicts at home. It's vitally important to keep your head on a swivel. In other words, be aware of your surroundings and what's going on. I'm just taking a second to drop this into the Telegram channel as well as the chat room. And then we will dig into it. All righty. And um, the October 7th Hamas terror attacks on Israel civilians or Israeli civilians serves as a shocking reminder that evil is raring to go when people least expect it. One second, concertgoers were enjoying festival music. The next second, they were struggling to escape slaughter. Yeah, because their military stood down. One moment, families were asleep in their beds. And the next moment, gunmen were breaking into their homes. Life and death situations require critical thinking without the luxury of time. Therefore, those who have already mentally prepared for the worst put themselves in the best position to prevail. Unfortunately, Americans are at a disadvantage today because they have been conditioned to depend entirely upon government institutions for protection. Not me. <laughs> a culture that values strength and self-reliance produces citizens who are capable of defending themselves when necessary. A culture that embraces victimhood, views masculinity as toxic, finds language triggering, and insists that only government agents should be armed with weapons is a culture ripe for swift defeat. Stupid is as stupid does. Furthermore, too many U.S. official U.S. government policies are intentionally geared toward harming Americans. 
No sane nation interested in the, in the safety of its citizens would open its borders to tens of millions of illegal aliens refusing to prosecute violent criminals or secretly resettle anti-American military-age refugees who unsuspecting American into unsuspecting American communities or inject toxic bioweapon kill shots into the vast majority of its population. No sane nation wastes its resources harassing patriotic citizens as domestic enemies while returning a, returning a blind eye to the damage caused by Antifa and BLM riots and the very real threats from Islamic terrorism. FBI Director Ray admitted just the other day that this, his agency is not tracking currently operating foreign terror cells in the United States, that the gaps in our intelligence are real, and that's something we have concerns about. At this point, nobody is denying that foreign terrorists are using America's illegal immigration crisis to slip into the country. During Biden's time in office, Border Patrol officers have encountered nearly 7 million immigrants, while over 2 million known gotaways evaded initial detection. Tens of thousands of million Middle Easterners have successfully entered the country illegally, in 2023 alone, nearly 1,000 people on the FBI's terror watch list have been apprehended, but nobody knows the true scope of terrorist gotaways. The cold hard truth is this. Through its open border policies and refugee resettlement programs, the federal government is actively aiding and abetting the next terrorist attack in the United States. The FBI has proved time and again that it has no interest in preventing Islamic terrorists inside America's borders. While it directs its funding resources and agents' time toward targeting Trump supporters for their political beliefs, it has repeatedly failed to act on intelligence that would have prevented every Islamic terror attack since 9-11, which was an inside job, by the way. Neither the FBI nor the larger intelligence community is motivated by the prospect of saving American lives. Why would the U.S. government see Americans as expendable? <laughs> oh, many, many reasons. The most straightforward answer is that it does not serve the American people, but is instead interested exclusively in expanding its own powers. What 9-11 confirmed for the intelligence community is that even its worst failures can be used to institute unconstitutional laws, such as the Patriot Act, that serve to broaden government authority and usurp, usurp Americans' rights. In the subsequent two decades, the federal government has created a complex surveillance system that enables it to spy on every citizen of the United States. Not only has freedom been foolishly traded for the promise of security, but also that promise proved to be a lie. Just a few short reasons why you should keep your head on a swivel. Man. Uh, let's see here. Moderna's marketing arm colludes with U.S. law enforcement to spy on Americans, shut down public vaccine skepticism. Yeah. Internal reports from the drug giant Moderna show that all throughout the Wuhan coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, the company conspired and colluded with law enforcement and social media companies to target vaccine skeptics like Serbian tennis champion Novak Djokovic. Moderna actually compiled one report devoted specifically to Djokovic, who is popular, well-loved, and very outspoken in opposition to vaccines. Good for him. 
entitled A Djokovic Crowned Anti-Vaccine Hero After U.S. Open Win. The report cites how Djokovic was barred from competing in the U.S. Uh, the 2022 U.S. Open due to being unvaxxed, but that he returned this past year and won. He's probably playing against somebody who was vaxxed and just probably barely made it through the whole ordeal. This is significant because the U.S. Open is sponsored by Moderna, which is clearly very threatened by Djokovic speaking his mind. The company wrote it in its report on Djokovic that the optics of Djokovic whose vaccine opposition barred him from competing in 2022 U.S. Open. Returning to and winning the Moderna-sponsored competition bolsters anti-vaccine claims that vaccines and mandates are unnecessary. <laughs> Djokovic uh, was, is rated by Moderna as high risk in the company's internal classification system because of his popular status and influence. Many of Djokovic's fanatics, Moderna also found, are vocal on social media in that they mockingly point out that Moderna is a U.S. Open sponsor. Big Pharma-funded public good projects funds vaccine hesitancy snitch network. It turns out that Moderna is not compiling these reports all by itself. The company has a hidden marketing partnership with former law enforcement officials, including at the uh, including at the Bureau of uh, the Federal Bureau of Incineration and Incrimination. These former spooks also utilize the help of corrupt public health officials to both monitor and influence vaccine policy. This is made possible through a drug industry-funded non-governmental organization called Public Good Projects that works closely with social media companies, government agencies, and news websites to directly confront the root cause of vaccine hesitancy by rapidly pinpointing and shutting down misinformation. The root cause of vaccine hesitancy is the fact that these things are deadly and people are dying from it and people are realizing that they're bad and they don't want to take it. <laughs> At no point in any of its reports does Moderna actually specif specify how it targets the spreading misinformation are how its targets are spreading misinformation, nor does it state any kind of counter-truth as a rebuttal. It is simply stated over and over again in these reports that the targets are wrong and spreading misinformation, no evidence required. Nothing to see here, folks. According to documents we have seen, PGP works closely with social media platforms, government agencies, and news websites to confront the root cause of vaccine hesitancy by rapidly identifying and shutting down misinformation, write Lee Fang and Jack Polson in Unheard. A network of 45,000 healthcare professionals is given talking points and advice on how to respond when vaccine misinformation goes mainstream, according to an email from Moderna. Moderna uses an AI called Blue Silk, to monitor vaccine-related conversations online. Since the beginning of the so-called pandemic, Moderna has played a crucial role in fueling the public discourse wars surrounding its mRNA COVID jabs, which are the company's first real product that has gone to market. Moderna also helped engineer more public support for lockdowns and mass vaccination by manipulating the government narrative to what it ultimately became. With PGP, Moderna is, is monitoring a, lar a huge range of mainstream outlets as well as unconventional ones such as the stream online gaming community and Medium, unheard further explains. 
Meanwhile, Moderna also retains TalkWalker, which uses its blue silk artificial intelligence to monitor vaccine-related conversations across 150 million websites in nearly 200 countries. Discussions around competitor issues, including discussions of Pfizer, are flagged as well as vaccine hesitancy. One former law enforcement agent who partners with Moderna to push its agenda is Nikki Rutman. Rutman spent nearly 20 years as an analyst at the FBI, during which time she helped spearhead the Trump's regime's Operation Warp Speed program to mass jab the entire country in record time. We are told that the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, created by George W. Bush regime after 9-11, is also colluding with Moderna, along with others, to steer public conversation in support of jabs. In another unearthed Moderna report, we read that DHS, along with former FBI and other enforcement law enforcement agencies, have color-coded warning system that place in place that, that gauges the severity of anti-vaccine narratives. The high and medium alerts include explanations of the news source and why it matters, followed by a listing of, of I think they mean low risk, they said O risk, or OW risk, <laughs> left, left the L out. Uh, low risk narratives uh, we are monitoring that don't currently warrant any action, unheard reports. If and when a response is needed, our team will notify the appropriate stakeholders with recommendations. One big name on that list is the high in or list in the high risk category is billionaire electric vehicle guru Elon Musk. Musk, who now owns X, formerly Twitter, Moderna says that Musk is really dangerous because he created a video ridiculing the media and government officials for claiming that COVID jabs are 100% ineffective against the bioweapon. <laughs> They're a bioweapon in and of themselves. Like its other reports, Moderna's report on Musk does not specify any allegedly false statements that he made in the video. Instead, it simply labeled the video as dangerous for pointing out that allowing deception by public health authorities and healthcare providers during the pandemic will lay the groundwork to sow distrust in credible sources on vaccine safety and effectiveness. Russell Brand is also named as a Moderna in the Moderna report as a dangerous anti-vaxxer because of his outspoken anti-vaccine beliefs. One popular video that featured Brand highlighted how at the peak of Operation Warp Speed, Moderna and Pfizer were both raking in $1,000 of profit every second from the sale of their COVID jabs. Yowzer. And that's the end of that. Man, craziness everywhere. School vaccine campaigns, oh, here's another one, come under scrutiny in France after 12-year-old boy dies on school floor following an HPV shot. Yeah, buddy. Despite there being multiple court cases in the U.S., India, Japan, Colombia, Spain, and France proving the HPV vaccine to be an instrument of death and uh, debilitation, Pharmaceutical companies and multinational organizations continue to fund HPV vaccine campaigns in school systems around the world. A nationwide HPV camp vaccine campaign was launched in French schools on October 19, 2023. The vaccine campaign targeted school children ages 11 to 14. 
Not only did the toxic aluminum-based injection poison every single student injected, but the vaccine program also went on to cause the death of a 12-year-old boy named Eluan. I guess it is E-L-O-U-A-N. 12-year-old boy's death following Gardasil vaccine prompts nationwide outcry. The young L1 um, collapsed just minutes after receiving Gardasil's HPV vaccine at St. Dominique College, a private school in St. Herbling uh, near Nantes. Upon collapsing, the boy suffered head trauma and was taken to the Nantes University Hospital. At the hospital, his condition worsened and he passed away on October 27th. The Regional Health Authority of Pas-de-Lori, anyway, uh, reported that uh, Elouan fell heavily on the floor after receiving the vaccination with the back of his head striking a hard surface in the room where the vaccination took place. Uh, They reported despite the intervention of the nurses present, Elouan's condition deteriorated in the following days in relation to the severity of his head trauma. These tragic events prompted an investigation by the Nantes Public Prosecutor's Office. Prosecutor Renaud Gaudil seeks to determine whether the medical treatment of this minor before, during, and after the injection was carried out according to the rules of the art. (laughs) Uh, We want to understand how this young boy could have died in these circumstances. I had a lot to do with the jab he was stuck with. Those involved are being investigated for involuntary manslaughter. French health officials dismissed the obvious protecting the deceptive HPV uh, vaccine racket. The ARS, on the other hand, immediately denied any connection between the boy's death and the vaccine. Of course they did. The ARS uh, claimed that malaise can occur uh, from stress induced by getting vaccinated. The ARS claimed that the boy's malaise and syncope could not be related to the vaccine, nor could it be related to the quality def- to a quality defect effect of the pharmaceutical product. <laughs> oh my goodness! And people believe this bull. The hasty ARS response highlights the government's tendency to overlook obvious circumstantial evidence to cover up vaccine injuries and conceal any further acts of medical malfeasance. The IRS's dismissal of the life-threatening vaccine injuries is modeled after the World Health Organization's definition of syncope following vaccinations. The WHO acknowledges that fainting is a potential adverse event of vaccination, but they define this problem as temporary loss of consciousness with a quick recovery. (laughs) Unless you bang your head on the floor and cause brain damage. That is an immunization stress-related response. In other words, WHO claims that fainting or syncope is of psychological origin and not the fault of the vaccine itself. More cover-up. The French Minister of Health, oh boy, Aurelien Rousseau, has already dismissed the boy's case. Uh, He told the French National Assembly that Elouan's malaise is the main adverse event of of any... effect of any form of vaccination and had no link to the injected product everything will obviously be examined and made public rousseau said i as i speak to you approximately twenty thousand doses have been injected this is the only serious tragic adverse event that we have had to experience it's the only one that made any difference to the young man and his family 
However, this is not true. In the U.S. alone, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program has paid out more than $70 million in damages to children injured by Gardasil. And prior to the COVID jab, the Gardasil was the most deadly vaccine on the market. Are French prosecutors preparing to hold the vaccine industry accountable for killing children? <laughs> yeah, right. Don't hold your breath. Syncope is just one of many serious adverse events of HPV vaccines. According to Rosenberg, the Gardasil vaccine is associated with autoimmune disease and disorders, dysautonomia, neurological disorders, reproductive disorders, and more, including but not limited to chronic fatigue and chronic pain syndrome, fibromyalgia, Guillain-Barre syndrome, immune thrombocytopedia, lupus, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, small fiber neuropathy, ah yes, and wait for it, death. Despite these callous dismissals by public health officials, the, public, the prosecutor's office is pressing forward with an investigation looking into the conditions under which the vaccine was administered, the medical supervision of the child, and the conditions for medical care of the child after life-threatening injury occurred. According to a French parent, the vaccination days were announced in March 2023 and were carried out in, on October 2nd by mobile teams with, with and without a doctor present. Dieter Lambert, president of Mutual Aid Association for micro, uh, Macrophage Myofasciitis Sufferers, or E3M, uh, spoke about his investigation with an interview in an interview with Nexus. Lambert said E3M filed a request to investigate the presence of aluminum and or HPV DNA in Eluan's brain, and that E3M had been asking for a moratorium on HPV vaccination in middle schools for several months. Lambert is also pressing the public prosecutor to conduct an autopsy that searches for HPV DNA fragments and aluminum adjuvant. Well, at least they're not just totally sweeping it under the rug yet. <laughs> Whew, man. New lawsuit <laughs> says Pfizer knowingly distributed unsafe drugs to children. Yeah, boy. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has filed lawsuit against pharmaceutical giant Pfizer for allegedly administering a popular ADHD drug to children despite the drug's pattern of failing quality control tests. Paxton says that Pfizer and partner Tris Pharma knowingly distributed the drug, known as Quilivant, despite the fact that criminal fraud took place with its regulatory approval. I'm horrified by the dishonesty and uh, we uncovered in the investigation packs and commented about the case in a tweet, adding that Pfizer intentionally unleashed this dangerous drug while fooling regulators and defrauding government health care systems. Paxton would go on to explain that Pfizer and its drug partners altered the drug testing pair, uh, method in violation of federal and state laws to ensure Quilivant passed regulatory hurdles and could continue to be sold. Time for CEO Albert Borla to be charged and tried for crimes against humanity. Yeah, buddy. And why not we do uh, Bill Gates and all the people at Moderna and all the rest of these schmucks, too? Equivalent contained the same active ingredient as Ritalin, a more popular ADHD drug from years past, that was apparently rebranded by Pfizer in an attempt to boost sales. Pfizer has generated hundreds of millions of dollars from the sale of Quilivant, 
claiming all the while that any associated problems with taking the drug are a result of quality control issues. This is a bald-faced lie, of course, but this is what drug companies do. They lie through the teeth because even when caught, they usually only have to pay a paltry penalty fee that is just a fraction of the overall profits the company rakes in from illicit drug sales. Pfizer also continues to lie about its mRNA COVID injection, with CEO Albert Borla falsely claiming in April 2021 that the company's Phase three clinical trials of BioNTech revealed that our, our COVID-19 vaccine was 100% effective in preventing COVID-19 cases in South Africa. And most people down there didn't even take it. They didn't get much of the stuff because they were already taking hydroxychloroquine all the time for malaria. Borla has lied on many occasions about Pfizer's COVID jabs, which are linked to many serious adverse events and deaths that conveniently the company never mentions, but that internet is always watching. <laughs> Dr. Albert uh, Peter A. McCullough and many others have noticed that uh, specific patches excuse me, of Pfizer's COVID jabs appear much more dangerous than others. Yeah, same with Moderna. And that adverse events associated with such, primar uh, with such primarily exist within certain lots of the drug. Mm -hmm. And most of those were sent to red states, believe it or not. The latest case filed by Paxton is just one of many to come down the pike against Pfizer in recent years. And it will almost certainly not be the last. Pfizer has a lot of retribution to pay for what it has done to humanity, and now is the time for the hammer to drop. As of this writing, not a single state in America has taken legal action against Pfizer for its behavior during the pandemic. Not even Texas, with Paxton in charge, has taken up a case like this, though Florida, we are told, recently impaneled a grand jury that is currently in the process of investigating the adverse effects associated with COVID shots from Pfizer and the others that participated in Operation Warp Speed. Paxton has been a stalwart on Big Pharma, the, um, the border and election integrity. One commenter wrote, approving of Paxton's efforts to hold Pfizer accountable. No coincidence that they tried to impeach him. Red state attorneys general have a lot of on their plates. Let's hope they have the courage to fight for the people. Were the people uh, involved in initiating, or were the people involved in initiating the impeachment proceedings tipped off about this case when they started their investigation? Uh, ask another, speculating as to why Paxton may have been impeached. Was the impeachment a way to try to kill his Pfizer investigation? Will Pfizer ever be held accountable for crimes against humanity? <laughs> Good question. Yowzer. Anybody got any comments? Feel free to jump in. And, of course, you know, local food banks are struggling to keep up with demand as inflation leaves more Americans hungry. And on top of that, the quality of the food that's out there is dropping in quality by the day. As inflation continues to affect American consumers, local food banks are seeing increasing levels of demand, and they are struggling to meet it. The chief executive of the Mana Food Center, uh, Jackie DiCarlo, told Washington Post that they were experiencing unprecedented demand. They exceeded their previous record, which was set during the pandemic last month, when they supplied 5,781 families with food. And I gotta say, just on a personal note, 
I don't I don't know who runs these food banks or what you know the regulations are and that kind of thing. Um, I've got a guy at church who lives in an area where every month there's a food bank truck, I guess, that comes up, and you know the residents of that community are able to grab whatever they want. And when everybody's done, he will uh, generally get whatever he can and stuff it into his car and bring it to our church. And uh, last uh, couple of weeks ago, we had about three or four eight-foot-long tables covered with all kinds of produce, um, (laughs) cakes, um, but most of it's produce. And uh, there were some little pre-done salads and things like that. but what and all kinds of bread products and that kind of thing what really surprises me is that you know and most of the time you know because he doesn't have a very big car he's not able to take everything that's left over and in most of the cases they say they're just going to throw it out i said why on earth don't they take it to the um you know we've got a lot of homeless shelters and things in in the columbus area there are definitely places that could use this food I can't imagine why they would ever just throw stuff away. But, and I don't know if there's some kind of rules that, you know, prohibit them from taking it to the food, to the food banks or the homeless shelters or whatnot. But whatever it is, it seems crazy to me if there's food there that is good, how it would be wasted by throwing it away just doesn't make any sense. But, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of things out there that prohibit certain things. But anyway, that's just a little note. Other food banks in the area are experiencing similar rises in demand with Capital Area Food Bank distributing 31% more food since July 1st and food for others, which serves uh, up to 250 people per day, uh, distributing 30% more food this year than last year. In Louisiana, the Greater Baton Rouge Food Bank reports that its shelves are also emptier this year thanks to inflation. Their president and CEO, CEO Mike Manning, said that the governmental programs and national donations they depend on have dried up. He explained a lot of companies have refined their operations to not produce as much. It's limiting the amount of produce, produce available, uh, so not as much is becoming available off those shelves to donate to us. Compounding the issue is the growing demand they are seeing with people who had previously broken free of their dependence on the food bank uh, now returning because of, of inflation and the financial issues it has created for them. Food banks in Missouri and Kansas are also seeing spikes in demand. The operator of the Riola Grant Center for Family Life Development in Kansas City, Janice DeWitt, said that the situation there is so bad in terms of overwhelming demand and lack of funding and food that they are thinking about closing their doors for good. I would say it's close to the worst. It's a, it's very close to the worst. It's just uh, very different, to be honest. I think we are now in the worst condition than we uh, were with COVID because now we have people who need food, but the money isn't there, she noted. The food banks themselves are also taking a hit when it comes to donations thanks to inflation. For example, the chief development officer of the Low Country food bank uh, brendan shaw told abc4 news in charleston that donations have been dropping she said maybe not necessarily the number but the average gift amount we've definitely seen a decline in that and i think that speaks to those people uh, that give us a hundred dollars and now they're giving us 50 because 50 fills up their tank (laughs) 
Um, inflation is also impacting their transportation costs. She noted that they sometimes receive truckloads of donated food produce from nearby states but still have to pay to get the truck to their facilities. Unfortunately, this comes at a time when the demand is rising. Uh, she said they are they used to see around 150 people each month before the pandemic, and although their numbers reached over 1,000 during the height of the pandemic, they are still seeing up to 600 people per month. Food bank struggles to a reflection of poor state and of the U.S. economy under Biden, <laughs> you think? San Antonio Food Bank CEO Eric Cooper said that the struggles so many food banks are facing right now reflect just how bad the economy is. He said that's almost one in three people who are leaning on food bank, the food bank for some food or programming or service. And that sends a message that the economy is not doing well. He pointed out that rising rent, transportation, utilities, and child care are leaving people without enough money to put food on their tables. As many Americans struggle to make ends meet, then feed their families, and food banks have trouble meeting demand. It can be very disheartening to see the U.S. spending billions of dollars on housing and feeding illegal immigrants and supporting the war efforts of Ukraine and Israel. Unfortunately, this is the reality right now in Biden's America. Yeah, there shouldn't be a single penny spent on anybody coming into this country illegally other than to ship their butts back to wherever they came from. And as far as the wars in other countries, it's their problem. We got our own problems here. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, this is interesting. I'm not sure what they're getting at here. Study, uh, vaccinated children shed COVID-19 virus up to three times longer than unvaccinated kids. Uh, I guess they're assuming unvaccinated kids actually contract the illness. That's why I'm kind of wondering what they're getting at here. A research letter published on October 23rd in the journal JAMA Pediatrics has found that children given the Wuhan coronavirus COVID-19 jab and those who were unjabbed both shed the virus for at least three days. If they're unjabbed, where do they get the virus, even though the virus doesn't exist? The results of the research led to the scientists to suggest that school policies requiring students with COVID-19 to stay home for five days are appropriate. Okay, so they're talking about the kids that also supposedly get infected. But while all the uninjected children in the study were clear of the virus by day six, 10 of the 52 vaccinated children, or 19%, took double, t- double the time to be virus-free. Three subjects, about 6%, were still infectious on day 10, a period that is three times longer than the reported median. How long the children remain contagious after a COVID-19 diagnosis remains a discussion topic, despite global data confirming that children overwhelmingly survive infection. And they're not contagious because it doesn't spread that way. Anyway... I'm not even going to go any further with this because it's based on faulty science in the first place. <laughs> Ooh, massive fire destroys a World War II area blimp hangar in Southern California. Isn't that special? Uh, mm-hmm. Pentagon education head arrested in human trafficking sting in Georgia. Hey, just goes to show people in government, people in politics, all part of the process. 
Uh, how the Democratic Party faked an American insurrection. <laughs> yeah, with all these uh, hours and hours and hours, 40,000 plus hours of video from the January 6th deal being released, a lot of stuff is coming to light now. There was one thing I thought was kind of cool. They have a little video. Uh, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but um, where was it? Um, here it is. This guy, obviously an undercover cop, gets arrested, gets handcuffed, and then... Why is it not going there? The link's dead. I just watched it earlier. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Check this out. This guy gets arrested. Oh, that's a different one. Hmm. Well... Huh. They changed the um, feed. Either that or I hit the wrong link. It was a Twitter link. Hmm. But anyway, it showed uh, this guy who was obviously an undercover cop. He was arrested. They took him off to the side, took his handcuffs off. He fist bumps one of the dudes, and they let him go. <laughs> yeah, while people that did absolutely nothing but walk in and look around and we're respectful, they are spending months and months and years in jail. Disgusting. But anyway, anybody have any comments, things that you want to talk about? Feel free to jump in. Let's see. Hmm, how did that keep changing on me um fda has not banned trans fats traditional saturated fats like coconut oil continue to shine for alzheimer's disease but are condemned by the u.s dietary advice <laughs> oh i love this how long did your ancestors live while eating bacon lard and whole milk these pop-ups been widely reported in the alternative media this month that the FDA has banned trans fats and that one, and that they will no longer be allowed in food starting December 22nd, 2023. Please note, if you believe that the FDA always tells us the truth because they want to protect us, <laughs> then there's no need for you to read any further. Go on trusting them and their advice for drugs, vaccines, and food. Just make sure you your estate is in order. <laughs> As has been widely shown that the following the FDA's advice leads to a shortened lifespan. So that's for sure. Look at the food pyramid. Everything they tell you eat is the stuff that kills you. If, on the other hand, you understand that the FDA is simply a marketing branch for big pharma and big food, which looks out for their best interests on how to maximize profits, and it's almost always rise to, wise to do the exact opposite of what the FDA recommends, then read on. I've thoroughly researched this claim as far as I can. I uh, can see uh, this disinformation originates from a single article published on Epic Times by Mar Mary Gillis, hmm, which was also republished by Zero Hedge News. That guilty pleasure donut you love will soon get a healthier makeover. Oh, yeah, right. 
known as partially hydrogenated oil, or PHO, one type of trans fat commonly found in commercial baked goods linked to heart disease and other health issues for years, is about to be eliminated from the U.S. food supply. The long road of removing trans fats from the food supply is about to end. It started in 2015 when the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or the Federal Death Administration, ruled that artificial trans fats were unsafe to eat. The agency gave the food industry three years for, uh, to reformulate products and ensure an orderly transition in the marketplace. Starting December 22, 2023, no products containing PHOs will be allowed on grocery store shelves. First of all, the long road to warn consumers about the U- in the U.S. about the dangers of trans fats began long before 2015. It began in 2006 when the FDA mandated that food nutritional labels had to identify the deadly trans fats. However, the FDA had a loophole that allowed foods containing fewer than 0.5 grams of trans fats per serving to claim zero trans fat. <laughs> of course they did. The first proposal ban, or proposed ban on trans fats was issued by the FDA in 2013, 10 years ago. Uh, let's see here. FDA moves to phase out trans fats from food. Um, I'm surprised they haven't uh, tried to make uh, hydrogenated oils, you know, things like, or, or um, uh, what am I, uh, shoot, basically animal fats. Um, I'm surprised they haven't tried to make those you know, illegal. You can't have bacon grease. You can't have lard. You can't have suet or any of that stuff. What are trans fats and what are food manufacturers using to replace them? Saturated, yeah, saturated is what I was looking for. Saturated fats like butter, coconut oil. Those are good. And, but they're claimed by the FDA to be unhealthy. And then polyunsaturated oils like soybean, corn, canola, and all the rest, the FDA says are healthy. And that goes clear back originally to um, the appropriation of uh, money from the uh, Heart Association back in the uh, way, way, way back in the early 1900s, about the same time the uh, Flexner Report was out. where Procter and Gamble paid seven million dollars to the Heart Association to start a disinformation campaign, saying that saturated fats like butter, lard, and things like that caused heart disease and all other kinds of problems, which was all a lie, so that they could sell their Crisco and Fluffo and all the other you know things that were basically you know German U-boat lubricants. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't believe people. Anyway, trans fats are toxic bioproducts uh, produced by hydrogenating polyunsaturated oils, such as vegetable oils derived from soybeans and corn, two subsidized cash crops in the U.S. that were only used to extract oil from after World War II and the development of seed expeller pressed technology. Prior to World War II, these dietary oils did not exist in the human, human food chain. But they are very unstable oils with a very short shelf life. So technology was used to hydrogenate them to make them more solid and convert them from oils, liquid at room temperature, to fats, solid at room temperature, like Crisco. Nature, however, already had its own versions of fats that have been used in human nutrition for thousands of years, and they are called saturated fats. They are found in animal sources such as lard, tallow, and butter, 
and also from vegetable sources such as coconut and palm oil. These are known as the tropical oils. As in their native environment, in the tropical countries, they tend to stay liquid at room temperature, but are mostly solid fats in northern climates such as North America and Europe. They are very shelf-stable, as virgin coconut oil and virgin palm oil in their natural states will, no, will not go rancid for decades, if at all, even at room temperature. But when you heat them, then they oxidize, producing trans fats and free radicals. When you put in your body, they cause inflammation and cancer. Anyway, when the Japanese cut off the shipping lanes from the tropical countries to the U.S. and Europe during World War II, American food processors began hydrogenating polyunsaturated oils like corn and soy to make them mimic saturated fats. Years later, it was determined that uh, byproducts from these hydrogenated oils were toxic and disease-causing, and many nations started banning them, but not us. <laughs> Our Federal Drug Death Administration said they're good for you. Uh, but when World War II ended, the globalists in the U.S. did not want to lose any market share back to the tropical oils, so they did what they always do to protect their market. They got the U.S. government to declare that, unsaturated, that saturated fats were harmful and to recommend hydrogenated polyunsaturated fats instead, supporting American agricultural interests and killing people. So what has the food industry done to replace trans fats? After all, the FDA has given them more than a decade to find alternatives, as most of the rest of the world has long since banned them. The rational thing to do would be to reverse their harmful low-fat diet advice and only promote polyunsaturated oils as healthy and return to the traditional saturated fats that our ancestors grew up consuming. But no... That could never be, as it would take away corporate profits at the expense of healthy or having healthier fats and oils benefit Americans' health. It, all, it would also remove their main motive to promote cholesterol-lowering drugs, as they need to de demonize saturated fats by scaring everyone that if you consume them, they will have high cholesterol that leads to heart disease, the lipid theory of heart disease that has been widely debunked in the scientific literature. Therefore, they did what the globalists always do and just created a newer toxic form of polyunsaturated fats that will comply with FDA labeling laws so they can continue controlling the market with maximum corporate profits. Are these newer industrialized fats, intersterified fats, any healthier than the trans fats? Probably not. They haven't been in the human food chain very long yet to know uh, the long-term effects, but a search in the peer-reviewed studies on PubMed does return 146 results, and they are mostly all negative. Surprise, surprise. Mechanisms of interesterified inter fat in digestibility in a muffin matrix <laughs> using a dynamic Dynamic gastric model. Oh, good grief. Uh, but then you have, I love this, the old uh, <laughs> eat butter from Time Magazine years ago. Scientists labeled fat the enemy. They Why they were wrong. Yeah. 
and Wallach was always out there telling him, you guys are crazy. You need this stuff. It's good for you. Oh, ketogenic diet. How can a high-fat diet treat epilepsy? Yeah, this is something that um, is just absolutely disgusting because it's very, very well known that a high-fat diet, whether ketogenic, uh, carnivore, whatever, will be is the absolute best thing for someone that has epilepsy or you know even things like uh, ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or multiple sclerosis, any of the demyelinating diseases, um, a high-fat diet will help put the uh, insulation back on your uh, circuitry so you don't have the uh, seizures, a.k.a. um, short circuits. And the American Murder Association knows this, but it's the last thing they recommend. Knowing that if they have an epileptic patient, this thing will pretty much 100% take care of the problem. They will first put the person on every single drug possible. And when phenobarbital and all the other things don't work, then they'll say, well, as a last resort, you might try the ketogenic diet. When instead, they should be doing that first and foremost, along with the 90 essential nutrients, of course. But let's see what they have to say here. 300,000 American children suffer from the debilitating disease epilepsy and its seizures. But it turns out that there is the least likely source of hope. And our Dr. Richard Besser is back with bacon, sausage, butter, cream. Pretty incredible. Diane, these are the foods that I tell my patients to take it easy on. But for the children you're about to meet, this is what they eat over the course of a week. And this makes all of the difference. You're okay. Starting at age three, Evan would have up to 50 seizures a day. Having him seizing and there was basically nothing I could do. His parents say the medicine didn't work, turned him into a zombie. It would take Evan five minutes to walk across the street so he could stand there, have a seizure and fall down. Then Evan's parents found bacon. This cure on a plate is known as the keto diet. 90% fats like heavy cream virtually no sugars or starches. Evan's parents aren't alone. 70 miles away lives Jack, another little boy with epilepsy. Jack was laying down. His eyes had rolled in the back of his head. He was twitching um, all over. Today, Jack's mother feeds him more mayo and more cream in one week than my entire family eats in a month. But far from being indulgent, this diet requires more discipline than an Olympian. Even one Cheerio has too much sugar for him. Jack loves cheese. Why would any parent do this to a sick child? They hope it will trick his brain into a system reset. Here's how it works. Normally our brains are fueled by glucose sugar. But when we eat only fats, we don't get enough glucose. So the body makes a new brain fuel from the fat, something called ketones. Seizures are like an electrical storm in the brain. Mysteriously, a big dose of these ketones minimize or even eliminate seizures. One thing I worry about is, is giving false hope to people. How effective is this treatment? About a third of children who go on this diet become completely seizure-free. And it's working. Jack's seizures are down 90%, but it's strict. Epilepsy took him away from us. The diet is, is it's a way to get him back. Remember little Evan? You ready to come out? This is him now. After four days on this diet, Evan's seizures stopped. After six months, he was off all his medication. He's even off the diet. He was cured, absolutely. I have to stop it there because we're out of time. Appreciate everybody being here. And uh, 
We'll be back tomorrow with Mike Callan, D.W., talking about the Virginia Declaration of Rights and uh, George Mason's creation, I believe, and uh, should be a very interesting conversation. So I appreciate everybody. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. We will be back tomorrow. Take care and God bless.